Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Tonight on Primetime Politics, the U.S. Secretary of State in Canada. Committed to taking our relationship and our cooperation to even higher levels. We'll talk about Antony Blinken's meetings in Ottawa today as Ukraine, the Indo-Pacific region and the crisis in Haiti dominate the agenda. Also, as the public saw, I was out there non-stop speaking to the people. As the inquiry into the Emergencies Act moves forward, questions remain about the Ontario Premier. Why is Doug Ford avoiding the commission? And Chinese police stations operating in Canada. The RCMP investigates as critics say the People's Republic is trampling on Canadian sovereignty and harassing people in this country. This is Primetime Politics. Hello everyone, I'm Michael Serapio. The U.S. Secretary of State is in Ottawa tonight, his first in-person visit since becoming America's top diplomat. He had a full agenda, but it is the matter of Haiti, a country struggling to resolve a humanitarian and security crisis that dominated discussions. The United States is looking to Canada to lead an international intervention, and today it was confirmed Canada is conducting an assessment of the situation on the ground in Haiti crisis that Haiti is facing is a humanitarian one. And we definitely need to support Haiti uh, to make sure that and, and bring the international community uh, to support Haiti fa facing this important crisis. And finally, I would say it is also of equal importance to address the political crisis because there needs to be fair uh, elections uh, happening and we need to make sure that the environment for these elections to happen is the right one. But to do that, we need to address the security and humanitarian issue. So that is why Canada sent an assessment, uh, an assessment mission. Our countries have been working very closely together uh, to do a few things to try to cut this uh, insecurity knot uh, and deal with the gang problem. Uh, one is to support the Haitian National Police, uh, including with, um, uh, with equipment, uh, with advice, and just uh, recently, as you know, uh, Canada provided uh, armored vehicles to the um, uh, Haitian National Police with, um, with our collaboration. Uh, at the same time, we are trying to break the nexus between these gangs and uh, some of the political actors who are financing them and directing them. And that goes to the sanctions that um, were recently put forward at the United Nations as well as sanctions we're doing on our own basis to try to uh, get at those who are uh, supporting and directing the gangs. With more on Antony Blinken's visit to Ottawa, we're now joined by Arif Varani, the Liberal Member of Parliament for Parkdale High Park in Toronto. He's also Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister for International Trade. And Heather McPherson, the NDP Member of Parliament for the riding of Edmonton Strathcona. She's also the NDP critic for Foreign Affairs. Hello to both of you. Hello. Hello. Mr. Varani, I'll get you to start us off. Here we have Minister Jolie confirming, and it was this morning, confirming that Canada is sending a fact-finding mission to Haiti, and as we followed the U.S. Secretary of State today, it really became clearer and clearer that the White House would like to see Canada play a leading role, if not the lead role in Haiti. Will that happen? 
Well, first of all, I'd say I think it was a very successful visit uh, with uh, Secretary Blinken thus far. He's also with uh, Minister Jolie tomorrow in Montreal. With respect to Haiti, we share a concern uh, in terms of being uh, regional partners, hemispheric partners. We've already showed a tremendous amount of, of leadership in Haiti, dating back literally decades. That stems from the fact we have strong ties with the country, strong linguistic ties with the large Haitian diaspora in the province of Quebec. We've been there for earthquake relief in the past. We th were there to support with the assistance and delivery of uh, military vehicles that they'd purchased, and we're now actively sending a fact-finding mission. Really, the, the nub of it has to be Haitian-led, and secondly, the nub of it also has to respond to the tremendous humanitarian needs that exist right now, which are basic, such as food, energy, and just responding to the violence that we're seeing with gang violence really uh, running rampant on the island right now. Yeah. And that's where our concerns are. Well, and as we noted off top, they really are uh, two crises here, one security, one humanitarian. Uh, Ms. McPherson, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on this. Again, the U.S. really seeming to want Canada to play this lead role in Haiti. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, obviously our first concern is with the Haitian people. What we are seeing in, in Haiti, you know, we've been speaking to Haitians, we've been speaking to members of the humanitarian sector, and what is happening in Haiti right now is, is devastating. The cholera outbreak, the violence, the lack of access to medicines, to food is, is from what we're hearing, the worst it's ever been. Um, however, I do have some concerns when I see Canada and the U.S. making unilateral decisions to, to send, um, send missions there. That is not what we are hearing from the Haitian community. When I speak to the Haitian community, they are, they are not asking for military intervention. They, they, are, they, are, they are asking um, Canada to, to not send that, that, military, that military force. And, and certainly historically, Canada has not done a great job uh, with regards to military intervention in Haiti. Now, that said, I think we do need to do what we can to help Haitians with, with what is happening in their country, but I think we need to make sure that it is Haitian-led, that we are listening to the Haitian community, that we are doing what they are asking for, for from us, and that we are not acting in a U.S.-Canada way, but in a, in a way with, with all, like, all countries in the regions, with, with, with what Haitians are asking for. Um, I, I have some concerns about, about the process that the government is taking. And I also would like to say I've asked the Foreign Affairs Committee to, to expedite a study on Haiti. I've asked the, the House of Parliament to be looking at this issue. We haven't done the work right now. We haven't had an update from the, from the minister on what's happening in Haiti. Uh, there's a lot that still needs to be done before we take this, this very, very big step. And I'm concerned that we are, we are not ready for that step at this point. So you, you hear the concerns there, Mr. Varan. I want to add to what we heard from Ms. McPherson, because we're also less specifically about Haiti, but in terms of a general concern that we heard earlier from the Chief of Defense Staff uh, this autumn, he, is, he has already rather halted all non-essential activities. Uh, D&D is, you know, facing a recruitment crisis right now. In General Air, Wayne Air, he is worried about Canada being unable to meet its military commitments. Does this country have the resources to take on such a critical mission like Haiti, given Given what we heard from Ms. McPherson and concerns from uh, the Haitians she has spoken with, should that mission be undertaken right now? Well, I think it's important not to put the cart before the horse. So what's been announced today is sending officials to Haiti to do an assessment, an assessment of the conditions on the ground, humanitarian needs, security needs. There's been no decision that's been taken with respect to a military intervention. So in that regard, that's uh, presumptive, I would, say, I would say, to say the least. 
uh, what's very important is that I said it in my first intervention, I'll say it again, is that we firmly believe, and there's no daylight between Heather's position and the position of our government, that this needs to be Haitian-led. That is exactly what I indicated in the first go-around. What I've indicated is that However, because of our strong ties with Haiti, we've always been there for the Haitians in terms of their needs, whether that's earthquake relief, whether that is support with the uh, vehicles that they'd recently procured. We've recently initiated uh, discussions at the UN for a donor program with committing $10 million. It's almost $2 billion of aid we've provided to the Haitians in about the last 10 to 15 years, which is significant leadership on our part. But I think in terms of what you're referring to, we are not presupposing any outcome here. We're sending officials there to understand the needs of the Haitians on the ground and to ensure that this response is indeed Haitian-led, specifically dealing with their food security issues, the cholera epidemic, and their security needs given the violence that we're seeing. Okay, fair enough. Now, Ms. McPherson, given what we just heard from Mr. Varani then, what are you looking out for? What do you think should be the focus of any type of Canadian-led effort in Haiti? You know, fact-finding missions are one thing. Once we start getting into a military intervention, I think that's when the Parliament of Canada needs to be briefed and needs to be brought into that conversation. I think that's very important. Um, absolutely, we should be providing whatever humanitarian aid we can we can do. Um, but when we provide it incorrectly, when we provide it in a way that is not Haitian-led, that is not um, effective, uh, we see what we've already seen in the past in, ha in Haiti. Um, it has not worked. It has caused more um, instability, more problems. And frankly, we are hearing from an unelected government, an unelected government in Haiti that is, that, that is calling for things that, that I don't think are the same as what the Haitian people are calling for. Well, we continue to follow this very closely, but for now, Ara Farani, Heather McPherson, really thank you for the time today. Appreciate uh, your thoughts on the matter tonight. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you. Now, you'll notice that we did not have a Conservative MP on our panel tonight. We did ask, but scheduling conflicts made that impossible. Still, I, get, I did get to speak separately earlier today with the Conservative Foreign Affairs critic Michael Chong. Take a listen to what he had to say about Secretary Blinken's visit and the crisis in Haiti. Well, I think the first thing that Canada should be doing is to address the, the chaos on the ground in Haiti. Uh, the problem in Haiti is that there's a great deal of lawlessness. Uh, there are no authorities that have any power to ensure uh, peace and security in that country, to ensure order in that country. And so one of the things that Canada should be doing and hasn't been doing is to provide uh, both police and military assistance to the authorities in Haiti in order to restore order in the streets. The problem is, is that the government has underinvested in our military, they've underinvested in our policing, and as a result, um, Canada is, is stretched at this point to provide any help. We're not holding up our obligations to the military alliance, to our NATO partners, we're not upholding um, our need to ensure that our police authorities are properly funded. And so I think part of the reason why the U.S. Secretary of State is coming to Canada is to make the case that the Canadian government um, is not upholding its international obligations to peace and security and needs to do a better job. And I expect that's the message that he will be delivering. Well, it is day 11 for the Emergencies Act inquiry, and today it was the Ontario Provincial Police Commissioner Thomas Carrick who was cross-examined as the Commission continues to examine the question, was the Emergencies Act needed? Was its invocation justified? 
Sufficiently trained public order officers were amassed from throughout Canada and deployed in an integrated, strategic and measured manner? Correct, yes. That resulted in the collapse of the occupation? Correct. It required unprecedented national collaboration to prevent injury, preserve life and protect critical infrastructure? Yes. The Emergencies Act was an extremely valuable tool? Yes. The situation was identified as a threat to national security? So we've talked about that, yes. Now, while the OPP commissioner took the stand, the Ontario Premier Doug Ford continues to fight a summons to testify. Just one topic we will be discussing next, also on the agenda, the Bank of Canada rate decision. Joining us now is our weekly strategy panel. Richard Mahoney is a liberal commentator. Tim Powers is a conservative commentator. Kim Wright is a commentator with the NDP. Hello to the three of you. Hello. 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 So a lot to talk about, uh, beginning with the Ontario Premier. Uh, Richard, the Prime Minister, he was asked whether he thinks Doug Ford should testify before the commission. Yeah. Now, the Prime Minister did not give his opinion on that. Instead, he pointed uh, to the good working relationship he has with the Ontario Premier. But how complete can the inquiry's work really be without Doug Ford actually testifying? I don't think it can be that complete because um, the inquiry is into the Emergencies Act. By, by virtue of the legislation, we have to have an inquiry um, into you know whether the act was justified, whether the invoking of the emergency was justified, whether things worked, if they didn't work. Um, so, you know, we we there's a lot of data in front of us, but. You know, one of the things we're looking at is how did the police forces respond? Um, why did it take so long? All that sort of stuff. Well, the senior police force in the jurisdiction is the Ontario Provincial Police. We've had a lot of evidence in the inquiry right now about what the OPP did do and what they didn't do. How could Mr. Justice Rulo's work be complete without the head of government of the most senior police force um, in Ontario? Um, and you could say, well, the RCMP are, are a senior police force too. Yes, but their jurisdiction is only in the federal precinct. So yeah, we have to know that. And I mean, I think there's a lot of politics in this. I think it's served Doug Ford's interest to not have any of his, you know, fingerprints on on the on the convoy, the Emergencies Act, and he's gotten off, you know, uh, pretty scot free in this. Whereas the Prime Minister has got lots of accountability. The Mayor of Ottawa, the police forces there do, but we can't know whether this worked, whether it didn't work, we can't know what to do next time without the attorney or the solicitor general, I should say, of Ontario mm -hmm. and the premier testifying and, and agreeing to testify in the same way the prime minister has, in the same way okay, let ministers me, Blair and so forth have. Yeah, well, let me jump in, Tim, because, you know, I, I am wondering about, you know, Richard's re referencing some politics in this, and I am wondering about the calculus. Why is Doug Ford so reluctant here when he was not hesitant at all uh, just last week saying that he stood shoulder to shoulder with the Prime Minister in invoking the, the Emergencies Act. Well, my boy, he hasn't told me on our daily calls. Being facetious, I don't talk to Doug. He should, he should, he should, he should. He should, I know, I think he's got better people to talk to than me. Uh, I, as, as you say, there's probably some current local politics that's influencing this, and some people in the Conservative Party weren't necessarily big fans of the invocation of the Emergencies Act and or all things associated with that. That aside, I think he should testify. I think he would perform well. He does well in these sorts of circumstances. Uh, and I think the story that he's told publicly so far fits 
well uh, with understanding what has happened here. I don't think it's essential that for the overall findings of the inquiry that he testifies, but I think he's missing an opportunity by not testifying. And now as a consequence of that, it does look like he has something to hide and that's not helpful to him. Mm-hmm. And Kim, what do you make of it? Look, from a knowing knowing the premier, knowing uh, how you know, having watched him under a question period, but also the Toronto City Council, I would say this: he'd be great on the first question. It'll be the sixth and seventh and eighth question that he'll start to lose his temper a little bit. And if I were his, I wouldn't go there either. Now, saying that, from a citizen perspective, from a gathering the information perspective. He and the Deputy Premier, now Deputy Premier, Sylvia Jones, should be on the stand, should be giving testimony. So we understand how to use this in a better light. But from a pure politics perspective, absolutely. I would never advise Premier Ford and and Sylvia Jones to go on this. Now, they should. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we look to other inquiries and there is a difference between this is an inquiry versus a royal commission. And for all of us, you know, we'll call it charitably nerds on this panel, we understand that there is a difference big in nerds. compelling him, to, big difference in compelling him to get back on that stand, uh, to get onto that stand, but we're not going to see that. And we can be mad about it, but this is not like the Walkerton inquiry. This is not like other inquiries uh, that we saw in Ontario uh, that were really challenges uh, legally, but also uh, of, of the then premier's own making. Uh, so, again, I, I would like to see him do it, but I guarantee his staff are like, absolutely not. Okay. Well, we'll keep watching that situation, uh, but I do need to move on here because we're quickly losing time. I, I want to talk as well about uh, what we heard from the Bank of Canada governor just this past week. Of course, interest rates gone up again as uh, we are hearing complaints about Canadians who are already hurting. Uh, a quick go around here. Is there a desire, is there room for the federal government to use fiscal policy to help Canadians who right now are not happy with these rising interest rates? Richard, I'll ask you to start us off. Uh, I I think the answer to that, Michael, is yes. Uh, I mean, first of all, we've seen some measures the government has already taken on this front. Um, The help for families with dental care, uh, which starts this year and will expand to cover all age groups by the end of it is a big part of that. Um, the five hundred dollar um, rent. But is there anything? That, but is there anything more than that, though? Yeah, I think. Well, I mean, it's not up to me to it to, to say that. But I built my my opinion is, is you know there'll be a fiscal uh, statement in the fall and a budget in the spring, um, and I would wager that you're right. Um, there'll be more measures in those two things because inflation affects every uh, income group, every age group right across the country takes earnings out of people's pockets. I think there isn't, as the Minister Freeland said recently, there is an unlimited uh, kitty for all this. We spent a lot of money as a country um, in recovering from the pandemic. But yeah, if I had to predict and you, you know, if you put me on the spot as you just did, I suspect there'll be more measures in the in the upcoming economic statement to be sometime lit next month or so. Okay. Tim, what do you think? Well, there's one obvious measure that not just Polyev is uh, ever is calling for, but other premier, premiers are calling for, and you, you could follow in line with the doubling of the GST rebate. Um, you could uh, pause the uh, the application of the carbon pricing, carbon tax for six months. Um, that may provide some immediate relief to people. All across the country today, people's gas prices were going up. 
So that's not helping them if you have to drive a car. So there's one measure. Uh, they voted against it. The government did this week. Um, I don't think they'll do it, but it's one that could be very helpful to many. Okay, Kim. So there's a couple of things I see. One of the things I would say, look back to what the Harper government did in 0809 in terms of infrastructure buildouts. Uh, there's lots of roads that need to be repaired. There are lots of schools and, and public housing that needs to be built. Doing this in a meaningful way and not making the same mistake the Harper government made, which was making the municipality shell out the money first and then getting kind of hosed on the interest rates on the back end. Uh, but there are lessons to be learned about how do you weather an economic storm. Uh, and really it is looking to your partners and delivery agents to have a better sense of this. It can't just all be tax policy. People want to see their communities moving and growing again. And frankly, the housing stock needs to get built in, in, in every town and, and city in this country. So let's get on with it. Okay, well, thank you for that. As uh, Tim says, the economic update not that far down the road. So we will speak again. But for now, uh, Richard, Tim and Kim, thank you for that. Thanks, thank Michael. You. The RCMP is now investigating the actions of three so-called police stations in the greater Toronto area linked to officials in the People's Republic of China. It is feared these stations are used to intimidate or harm people in this country. A human rights group in Spain is raising the alarm about the presence of these stations not only in Canada but around the world in predominantly Chinese communities. Well, to talk about this, we are now reaching out to Michael Chong. He is the foreign affairs critic for the Conservative Party, also the member of parliament for the riding of Wellington Halton Hills in Ontario. Mr. Chong, thanks for being here. Great to be here. Now, you have already commented on the existence of these uh, overseas so-called police stations from China, three apparently in the greater Toronto area, as outlined in that human rights report. And you say they represent an outrageous intrusion of Canadian sovereignty. What do you mean by that? Well, the, the only police authorities that should be operating in Canada are ones that have been authorized by Canadian governments. And this is an example of police authorities operating here from a foreign state without any authorization from a Canadian government. And that is what is so outrageous about this. Nobody should be directing our citizens here without the lawful authorities. And these three illegal stations and the people operating out of them represent a real violation, a real intrusion into Canadian sovereignty. Mm -hmm. Now, the embassy for the People's Republic of China, they, they've made comments about these stations to the CBC, and they say that these uh, outposts are staffed by volunteers, not Chinese officials, not Chinese police officers. They also say that they've uh, been set up to help Chinese citizens here in Canada to do things like uh, renew their driver's licenses back in the People's Republic. What do you make of that explanation? Well, two things. First, it doesn't matter whether these individuals are unpaid or paid, whether they're volunteers or they're employees. Uh, the fact is that they are, uh, they are presenting themselves as authorities uh, in this country. And that's completely wrong. They are not lawful authorities in this country operating with the authorization of any Canadian government. Uh, and so that is the first problem here. Uh, this, the second thing I'd say is that if, if the authorities in China, if the authorities in Beijing wish to help their citizens here in Canada renew driver's licenses or 
deal with other administrative matters related to their citizenship or residency back in the People's Republic of China, they should do it properly. And that means that they provide these services out of their embassy or consulates here in Canada through accredited diplomats. Uh, that is the proper way to do it. Those uh, individuals working out of the embassy and the missions here in Canada are authorized by the government of Canada to do that work here. Instead of setting up these clandestine uh, stations and uh, projecting those authorities without the consent and authorization of the government of Canada. And that is the problem here. And that's why the government of Canada needs to take immediate action to shut down these illegal stations and anyone operating out of them. Mm -hmm. It's interesting you, you use the word illegal because the RCMP now says they're investigating. But if these are illegal stations, one wonders what the investigation is. Is it potential acts through these offices that concern you or acts that you already know have happened? Well, I think there's, there's, it's clear that for many years now, uh, proxies and agents acting on behalf of Beijing have been intimidating Canadians here on Canadian soil. We've had many firsthand accounts and reports of pro-Hong Kong democracy activists here in Canada, uh, those advocating for minority rights in China, such as Uyghurs, Tibetans, uh, having been intimidated and coerced by proxies and agents here in Canada acting on behalf of Beijing. The news of these three new illegal police stations and the individuals operating out of them is part of a broader pattern here that is very worrisome. It's another tool that Beijing can use to try to coerce people uh, into doing what Beijing wants and even coerce them into going back to China uh, to be prosecuted for something as simple as speaking up in favor of democracy. And we've had many reports of that, and that's why these stations ought to be shut down. So ought to be shut down, and you are making a call to the government. Just exactly what do you want the Trudeau government to do, and what kind of timeline are you looking at? Well, we know that there's currently an RCMP criminal investigation taking place about whether or not any uh, criminal code laws have been violated uh, by uh, by the establishment of these three stations. But there are three other things the government can do in addition to that ongoing criminal investigation. The first is they should haul the Chinese ambassador to Canada on the carpet and express their outrage that Beijing has allowed this to happen in Canada and demand that these be shut down immediately because they're not acting under any lawful Canadian authority. The second thing the government should do is they should instruct the Foreign Affairs Department to review the uh, credentials, the accreditation of all the several hundred diplomats accredited to the Chinese embassy and to the missions consulates here in Canada, uh, to ensure that no one at those embassy, at the embassy or consulates, is engaged and involved with these three illegal police stations. And if it is found out that any accredited diplomat here is involved with the establishment or operation of these three illegal police stations, they should have their credentials revoked. And finally, uh, the Immigration Department should review uh, the, the uh, visa status of any individuals that might be working out of uh, these offices. And if, it, if there are uh, people from Beijing, people from Fujian province, uh, where these stations purportedly have been organized from, operating out of these stations, they should have their visas revoked. Uh, the government hasn't provided work visas uh, for any individuals working at these stations. And so anybody who came on to Canada under false pretense that they were being 
that they were visiting or for other purposes should have those immigration papers revoked and they should be deported from Canada. So those are the things that the government should be undertaking. But so far, we've not heard anything from the government uh, and only heard something from the RCMP. Michael Chong, thank you for the time today. Thank you. And that is our program for tonight. For everyone here at CPAC, thank you for joining us. I'm Michael Serapio. We'll see you again tomorrow.